morning, church. Good morning at home. Good to see you guys tuning in. It's been a, a really, really exciting morning. We had our first preview for the Spanish-speaking service, and it was lit. It was awesome. You know, when uh, we sent Pastor Adrian to do a, a boot camp for planting any ministry, especially a church, and we consider this a new church, uh, we were told that you need to push you need to push as hard as you can to have at least 40 people do that first practice service, that launch service. You need to have that. We had 80 people. Now granted, check this out. We had 80 people because that's all we can fit. Imagine if COVID wasn't here. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah is right. I get really emotional because we've been waiting for almost 30 years to do this. And being a part of this, and I'm just so proud of Pastor Adrian and his courage and his faith to step on and take this on full-heartedly. It's just so encouraging to me and, and I think to his church overall, his family, Grace Bible Church. So we're going to have some preview services. The next one is October 4th. We're going to have some more uh, during the month of October. But we're launching full force November 15th. Start spreading the word. And make sure that we reach the community with the gospel in Espanol. Las buenas nuevas. Amen. Cool. You know, there's several words that probably can describe me. Besides being your own, that's one of them, right? But I think if you would ask my family or people that really, really know me, one good word to describe who I am and how I act is antrabancado. If you guys don't know what a trabacado is, it's more of, of just a risk taker without really taking into effect the risk in it. And there's some positives to that, but there's also some negatives. Because being a trabancado, you're also a little bit of terco, hard-headed. And I'm, that describes me, I'm not going to lie. Ever since I was young, I was very atrabancado, and I've got the scars to prove it. My mom would tell me time and time again, don't dive into the shallow. But did I listen? No, I dove into the shallow. I have a scar right here. We lived in a mo mobile home, and my mom would always tell me, do not play where they hook up the mobile homes because they're mobile, right, and you can hook up to that. There's a, there's a big, sharp thing sticking out. Don't play around there. Pero ahí va el atrabancado. And I've got a scar. To sh well, I'm not going to show you, but i got a scar here. In life, because we just go full force and we don't listen to the advice of others, we've got scars to show, to prove that we were just launching without sitting back and listening to the warnings that others who may be gone before us were giving us. In counseling, when I do marriage counseling, I say, man, hold on, don't divorce. I've seen marriage after marriage when they end up in divorce, when they don't give God a chance, it's worse. But unfortunately, a lot of the times they don't listen to God's warning. They don't listen to my warning. And they take the risk and step out of that. Can you guys, can you guys feel that? Have you ever been through that? That maybe someone's told you, a doctor has told you, hey, take care of yourself, eat right, exercise, and now you're unhealthy and you're living because of the consequences of not paying attention to what others have been telling you. Maybe you're in a marriage that you didn't listen to your wife saying, I need your love. 
Maybe you're in a marriage that you didn't listen to your husband, how, how he was saying, I need your respect. And because you didn't listen, because you didn't see the warnings that we've been giving to you day after day, you are stuck with the consequences. Maybe you've got children that don't listen to your advice. Don't do it. I know what it feels like. Don't go through what I've been through. But unfortunately, our kids don't listen to our warnings, to our advice. We've been there. I'm willing to bet a lot of us are paying the circumstances, the consequences for not heeding the warnings. And as we're going to see today, as we open up chapter 3 of Hebrews, the author is going to give his audience early Jewish converts into Christianity, don't do what our forefathers did. Don't stray away from God. Listen to the warnings. Stay connected. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to chapter 3 of Hebrews. We're going to try and cover the whole chapter. We've been going one chapter at a time every Sunday, and it's been a little difficult, but I think we can get through it. And so uh, before we open up, let me just pray and let the Holy Spirit dwell in our hearts. Father, I do pray that we are attentive to who you are and what your word says. I pray that the Holy Spirit fills us, guides us, directs us. But more importantly, Father, I pray that we are transformed, that we are doers and not just listeners, not just readers, but participants of your holy word. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Let me put you guys up to speed. Maybe at home, this is the first time you're tuning in or here. Let me sh tell you where we're at. We're at chapter 3 of Hebrews. And let me give you a little background on, on the book of Hebrews, the epistle, this letter written by an unknown author. We really don't know who the author is. A lot of people believe it's Paul, but it's still not clear. It's unknown. It was probably written about 65 AD. Now, during this time, there was an emperor, Emperor Nero, who was persecuting the Christian community. And so the early converts, the audience that the author is speaking to, they were second-guessing this faith. They were thinking to themselves, wait a second, is it worth it? Is this Jesus following worth persecution, death, separation of my family? And the main theme of this book of Hebrews, as we've been seeing, is that yes, Jesus is greater than anything. Jesus above all things. So in chapter 1, he opens up and says, look... Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is God himself. The word became flesh and he's giving us a message. Pay attention. He continues in chapter 2 and he says that Jesus had to become one of us. He understands. He got involved. He is our high priest who took the sacrifice, the penalty for our sins. He is greater he empathizes no matter where you're at, no matter what circumstances you have. Jesus knows. Have faith on that. Do not drift away from that. He keeps us warning after warning. Hold on to the truth of who he is no matter what you're going through. So he's going to continue today. The author is in verse 1 of chapter 3. He opens up and says this. Therefore, he, he seems to always open up with this therefore. It's like one 
door opening after another, one block building after another. Therefore, because of everything I told you in chapter one and chapter two, because of who Jesus is, he says, holy brothers, that holy word, it means set apart. You who share in heavenly calling. In other words, you that are secure in Jesus, that you are destined for heaven, he says. And this is important. I'll come back to this. He says, consider. Now, that word consider in, in, in Greek is, is not like, well, think about it. Like if you're considering a salad for lunch. No, this word means take real good consideration. Deeply, deeply contemplate who Jesus is. And then he tells us who he is. Jesus, the apostle and high priest. Let me stop here for a little bit. Jesus is the high priest, but not only a high priest, the high priest. See, the high priest back in the Old Testament, what he would do is once a year, he would be, take a sacrifice for all of the nation of Israel, for all their sins. He would, the people will bring their sacrifice, and he, he had to cleanse himself first. And then he had to offer a sacrifice for the people's sin. And Jesus, being the high priest, was it. The only sacrifice needed from here on out. He paid for our sins once and for all. Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is God. Now the author opens up and here's what he's saying. And he's talking to an audience who really believed Moses was it. And the first thing that the author says is that, yeah, Moses was good. But Jesus, Jesus was greater. Now, I can picture this. The audience is probably saying, okay, we read the first two chapters. They didn't have chapters back then, but... Okay, I, I believe it. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. But whoa, now you're saying he's greater than Moses? What you talking about, Willis? I'm just seeing how, how old you guys are. They're freaking out. Wait a second, he says. I can deal with anything. But now, now you're saying to us the greatest prophet that ever was Moses, that Jesus was greater than him? He gets the attention of the audience and he gives two reasons why Jesus is greater than Moses. The first thing that he says is that Jesus is the builder of the house. Now, what he's talking about, the house that he's talking about is, is us, his church. Jesus died for his church. He established his church. Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses is the servant of the house. That's why Jesus is greater. Moses brought a message. Jesus is the message. Moses is only a servant of the house. Jesus is the builder who constructed the house. The second thing that he says why Jesus is greater than Moses is that Moses just brought the testimony it was a foreshadowing of who Jesus, a greater Moses, was to come. Look what he says in verse 5. He says this. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant 
Why? To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. He was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus himself said this, Moses gave the law. Jesus didn't come to demolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He was a fulfillment of the testimony of Moses. Again, he was just pointing to the greater Moses that was to come. Everything that Moses prophesied about the law, Jesus fulfilled. John says this, John chapter 1 verse 17 says this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's why the author says, that's why Jesus is greater. He goes on in verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now let me stop here for a little bit, because a lot of people have interpreted this verse differently because of that condition, if. Now here's what the author's not saying. The author's not saying that you can lose your salvation. In other words, he's not saying you can lose being part of the house if you don't hold on firmly to that. That's not what he's saying, not at all. Why? Because we covered that. What did he say? What did he say in the opening part of his letter? He says, you guys are a brother. You're set apart. You're holy. You've been saved. You're destined for heaven. He's already talking of their security. So he's not coming back and giving them a condition. This is what he's saying. He says, look, you're saved. You're secure. Act like it. Hold on to your faith. Be faithful of your salvation. Live out your salvation. Hold on to that hope. Focus on Jesus. Again, remember the circumstances that they're in. And he's saying your perspective should be the one of being saved, part of his house, destined for heaven. A lot of you, unfortunately, are cowboy fans. But every year, <laughs> I love this, sorry, at home, sorry here. Every year, the first game, the first touchdown, every Cowboy fan around the nation, Super Bowl, we're destined, yeah, all excited, and they lose. <laughs> anyway, sorry. And just like flies, because the season starts going, they start jumping off. They lose their hope. Nah. Again, same old, same old. We're not going to the Super Bowl. In the same manner, I think the author's saying, don't lose your hope. Because of your circumstances, you're going to jump off the wagon? If you're wearing a Cowboys jersey, stay with the Cowboys. You have that faith, that hope as Jesus' children. Stay with that. Live your life. Act like you're a Christian. That's what he's saying. If you're saying you're saved, and I believe you're saved is what he says, Hold on to that faith. Don't let go. You need to hold on. Now the author is going to go and start giving us, his audience, warnings. He's going to say, don't do what our ancestors did in the desert. Take their advice. Let's not be like they were. He says this in verse 7. Therefore... As the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. 
as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The author's quoting Psalm 95, and again, he's bringing the Israelite people, the Jewish converts into Christianity, bringing them a warning of the past. And if you know the story, for over 400 years, the Israelite people, the Hebrews, were held in slavery by the Egyptian army. And he sends Moses, and he frees his people, and then they go into the desert. And we read that they're all excited. Yeah, we're finally free. But then we start getting some obstacles, some things that the people weren't expecting, a big sea in front of them. But God, as always, tells them, like he's telling us today, I've got this. So again, you might know the story. The ocean opened up, and the people went by. And then they crashed. The waves crashed behind the Egyptian army. And we hear, yay, God did it. But a couple of steps later, they start complaining. Complaining about how God has been unfaithful. Does this sound like us today? Jumping off because of our circumstances? How God has been unfaithful and they complain and complain. We're going to die in the desert. But God keeps telling them, no, trust me. I've got a land, a promised land, a land of rest. Just trust me. I'm going to feed you manna, bread from heaven. I'm going to give you water from rocks. I'm going to guide you during the day with a cloud. And at night I'll be a fire. Just trust me. But they complained that they did not trust. Do you know that this journey to the promised land should have taken 14 days? You know how long it took? 40 years. It's not that the, Egyptian, uh, the, he, the Hebrews lost sight of where they were going to. The reason it took 40 years is because they lost sight of who God was, who God is, faithful. And so they did not trust him. And what we just read and what God just did to them, they didn't allow those people to go into the promised land, a land that he prepared for them. But because of their mistrust, because of their unfaithfulness, that generation was not able to see the promised land. So the author is saying, don't do as they did. Let's be different. Let's trust on God. Rely on him. And his promises have always been true and will continue to be true. He offers you and me rest. As long as we hold on to his faithfulness to who he is. He goes on in verse 12. He says this, take care, brothers. Lest there be any, in any of you, an evil, an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Then none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness, by the sin of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original our original confidence firm to the end. So three things the author's saying here. First of all, he says, don't fall away from the truth, from the living God. Don't let your sin drag you away from God. Keep your sight on him. Don't any transgression, don't any guilt tell you that God's not there. God is there. Just like he was there in the wilderness, in the desert, he's there now in our wilderness, in our desert. And then he says this, 
as long as we can call it today, let's exhort each other. The second thing, let's come together as his house, as his family, encourage one another. We're in a season that a lot of us are depressed, that a lot of us are confused, that a lot of us are apart. I think now more than ever, we need to follow the author's command, the Holy Spirit speaking through the author of Hebrews to come together and encourage, exhort one another while it's still today. In other words, while you still have a chance, reach out to someone. One of the things that I love about Grace Bible Churches is, is our small group, how we encourage, how we in a way force people to join, not for, not for the good of the church, but it is good for the church, for the body of Christ to come together, learn. I love the small group that I'm in right now, Regeneration. Man, we're building a brotherhood. We're learning of who God is and how broken we are. So again, I encourage you to follow this, to come together, exhort one another, encourage one another. And the third thing that the author is saying here is, again, don't give up on your faith. Hold on to the salvation of Christ. You were saved by faith. Continue with faith. Faith in the faith maker, our Lord and Savior. Lastly, verse 15, he goes on and he quotes Psalm again in the beginning. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Wasn't that all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Wasn't that those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The author's saying, listen to the warnings. Let's not fall into that mistake again. They didn't enter the promised land. They didn't enter the rest because they didn't believe. Do not harden your hearts. Not because of sin or any other reason. Hold firm to that. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than all things. Jesus is greater than any circumstance. And like I said, Moses was a testimony of who Jesus was, a foreshadowing. And we also read... In the desert, where the Israelite people were bitten by snakes and were dying left and right. And God told Moses, lift up a serpent, a bronze serpent. And anyone who reached out in touch was healed. There was a greater Moses who came and was lifted up at the cross. And anyone who puts their trust in that is healed from their sin nature. Yeah, Jesus is greater. Moses, Moses didn't enter the promised land. Moses disobeyed God and smacked the rock. Jesus not only entered the promised land, he is the creator of the promised land. See, when he hung on the cross and said it was finished, it was finished. And when anybody puts their trust in that, in the fact that he lived a perfect life, that he died, and on the third day he rose again, and we believe in that, then our sins are forgiven, and then we have that rest. We have that peace from the peacemaker. The greater Moses. Here's what I want you to read out loud in your point for today. Because I don't want you just to read it. I don't want you just to, to say it out loud. I want you to proclaim it and believe it. 
So here's the sermon point for today. Read out loud with me. God has spoken. God has spoken through the prophets, through his words, but most importantly, through Jesus Christ. He has spoken. So what are we called to do is to respond, not harden our hearts. Respond with reliance. That word reliance is trust. Receive his truth. And what do you get? You get rest. In a restless season, God through his son is offering you rest. Take heart of that. Believe in that. If you hear his voice today, if you hear the Holy Spirit prompting you, don't harden your hearts. Don't say, man, pastor, you don't know what I've done. You know how sinful I've been. No. God wants you and needs you right where you're at. And maybe, maybe you've trusted Jesus Christ and, and let him into your heart and he is your savior. Maybe if you're hearing his voice today by saying, don't let go of that faith. Maybe you've strayed away from the truth. Maybe you've got questions or guilt. Don't harden your heart. Listen to him speaking to you. Let me, let me ask you. What sin, what temptation are you going through right now? What guilt are you holding on that maybe you're hardening your heart and are not able to listen to God? What desert, what circumstances are, are leading you astray and not making you focus on the way to peace, to rest, to the promised land? Is there anything in your life right now? Is there any sin, is there any guilt that's making you question the love of God? Let me ask you, are you listening? Are you slowing down and are you able to listen his voice? I want to finish today with a, a time of reflection, really. A time for you to come to God in prayer and ask him to speak to you. Ask him to soften your heart so you can listen. But not only listen, react, respond in reliance, in trust. So you can receive his rest. The band's going to play, come to the altar. And the lyrics, the lyrics, I love the lyrics. And, and we're going to sing them. It says this, are you hurting, hurting and broken within? Is that you? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Do you have that guilt that... That just doesn't let you move forward. And here is the truth. Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you told yourself, I can't live like this anymore? He says, do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Don't listen to the gills. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Now don't harden your hearts. Why? Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy, for rest, for peace. From the ashes, a new life is born. Why? Because Jesus is calling.